Adam. Sam. Sleep and fatigue. Yeah. Are you feeling well rested? I've never been so well rested. <laughs> this is not the right time due to the pandemic. I have never been more rested and probably less able to tell you about the effects of sleep and fatigue. Yeah. Because, I'm well rested and I've not fatigued. Because we're barely working. So, exactly. Uh, yeah. But... It's not always just the flying, I suppose. There's lots of factors that can contribute to sort of fatigue in and lack of sleep in your in your normal life. Why is it such a big issue for for pilots? This kind of fatigue side of things. It falls in under the human factors or human performance, and actually, it's taught to pilots in the CRM class usually, or the you know that theme of things, not the technical side. Mm-hmm. And in ATPL, yeah, it's in the human performance exam yep because that's the the crux of it for me is we want humans to fly the aircraft Mm -hmm. we want humans in all parts of our society to perform jobs that we don't want to be automated yeah for creativity for a, a process of thinking that we haven't mastered yet with automated systems so to get the best out of a human you've got to recognize that there's human factors. Yeah. Okay. So aviation is at the forefront of trying to objectify and study human performance because mm-hmm. it's critical to the operation. Yeah. And we're in a high risk industry. So yep. if we let things slip, then the risks are high. So there's chance of, of death. So not just overlooking the, the human element and trying to be scientific about it is really important. And of course, and I think studies of sleep are behind as a as a society we still don't it just feels like we don't know as much about sleep considering it's a third of our life compared to other medical aspects like diet and so on yeah when you're going to get humans to do unnatural things like fly a plane um, and travel great distances that we're not evolved to do or go to the moon or fly around in space suddenly you have to quickly start to understand what the effects um, are going to have on on the humans and and sleep is going to be a big part of that. So it's really important, you know, to put it simply, at what point is the human, if you were drunk, you you wouldn't be wanting, you wouldn't get on a plane if, as you were on the air bridge, you've seen the pilot swigging a a bottle of whiskey and handing it to the first officer. Yeah. But actually... You, you let your cognitive levels of alertness and, and reaction times and things like this can quite quickly become the same uh, as if you were drunk yeah if um, through fatigue and tiredness yeah, yeah and I, yet the passengers might not be aware that that that, that could be a factor yeah I uh, yeah I, I read a lot about that about how it's comparable to to being drunk essentially mm-hmm. if you're if you're fatigued and Sleep and fatigue, fatigue can affect anybody. It's not just pilots. It can affect uh, anybody, obviously. But it has more of a profound effect on pilots because of the unnatural hours that we work and the way in which we work. So and it's critical to pilots' yeah. performance, yeah. but it's also under attack by, De- detrimental. Yeah, by exactly. the job itself. Exactly, exactly. So I read the ICAO definition, which, uh, which, which I think summarises it quite nicely. So it says... Fatigue is the physiological state of reduced mental or physical performance capability resulting from sleep loss, wakefulness, circadian phase, or workload. So I think three out of those four things can affect anybody. So 
sleep loss, wakefulness or workload. Everybody has stuff going on in their lives or has a bad night's sleep. But I think maybe the circadian phase is the one that affects us the most as pilots because most people who work in a nine to five job, their circadian phase and their circadian rhythm, which I'm sure we'll come on to talk about, is standard and doesn't really fluctuate much. But whereas for us, that's the, that's the big, that's where the sort of big changes occur, especially in long haul travel, but in, you know, getting up early in the morning, finishing late, yeah. night, et cetera, et cetera. So that, so as you say, it's sort of detrimental to us. It's worth, it's attacking us as well. Yeah. Um, for me, this is where, and I've only appreciated this in this sense, like recently, which is it's, it's one of my skill sets as a professional being able to rest, being able yeah. to get rest, to not be fatigued, to sleep before duty, not let there be cumulative effects. That's actually a skill and maybe you're just better at it when you're younger and more resilient. And then your life is simpler when you're younger as well. And um, when you have all these things competing against you being able to be rested and asleep, at that point, are you a professional? Are you going to take it upon yourself to put the priority of your next shift or your previous you know, shift's effects on you first rather than your social life, your family life? Absolutely. So, and I think it's really hard to do as well. I think, you, you know, you're right. It it requires real professionalism to actually look after yourself in that way, because I'd be the first to admit that there's been times where I've gone to work where I've felt tired and yeah. probably not as well rested as I would have liked to have been. But health, you're supposed to, as a pilot, you're supposed to be the one who takes responsibility for your own yeah, no, uh, fit yeah. to fly. Yeah, absolutely. And some things can be easier so you might have pressures where okay if I call in sick I'm going to be in some kind of sickness stage or disciplinary or something okay so those pressures might stop you calling in sick for all sorts of things including being tired and so on but particularly with being fatigued or tired what I thought was in our society today you're rewarded so your standard conversation is oh how are you doing oh i'm so busy this is with anybody not a pilot yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. so busy i'm so tired that's the expected thing to say it's like the datum isn't it yeah you like wouldn't say oh adam how are you doing and then i go i'm really well rested thanks like <laughs> yeah it's just yeah. not cool basically the ego wants to say i'm really busy and i'm really tired yeah so my point being that to admit that you're too tired to work kind of flies in the face of our societal uh, norms. So you've got to man up, excuse the phrase, and say to the um, your co-pilot, I'm not fit to fly because yeah. I'm too tired. And it's kind of, yeah, in the face of your ego. It, you yeah. know, we're in society, we're supposed to be tired. You're supposed to be working, grinding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so it's almost like saying you've got a deficiency. If yeah. you say I'm too, I'm too, I can't do it. I'm too tired I'm too to fly. Tired. Yeah, yeah. But there's so many factors of why you might be fatigued or, or just tired that day, that you could never compare one person to the other. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Even if they tried their best to be rested. Yeah. It might not have happened. And do you do you think you've ever been fatigued at work? Have oh yeah, ever? for sure. Yeah. There's one specific example. I think it was a, a time when we were learning more about fatigue, which is why I might have like learned about it. Basically, I was on a Sharmal shake, which from the UK is a really long two-sector day anyway. And I'd done a lot of deep night flying as well. So it was a perfect setup for it. And I'd been rebased and I was commuting. Well, I wasn't, but in between 
shift patterns I was commuting and I was staring at the wind vector on the ND on the 7.5 probably and I just couldn't figure out (laughs) where it was coming from where the wind was coming from because that's one of those things that you just instinctively glance at it and your brain would tell you the data that it's that you're interpreting but I was unable to interpret it and for some reason that struck me immediately as that's just that's fatigue that, that's a sign that's yeah, yeah, yeah. tiredness but there was another element to it there was a confusion and a fogginess with yeah. it which wasn't like being tired and yeah. that's why I'm trying to tell you it was like a com- cumulative thing over that summer season that that shift block yeah that's an important point isn't it it's um there is a difference between being tired and being fatigued if you just have maybe one bad night's sleep, yeah. you, might, you might be tired. But fatigue, yeah, it tends to be more cumulative over a long period. Like you say, with lots of things going on, lots of bad night's sleeps in a row, um, working a lot, maybe some stress. And yeah, back back to that sort of ICAO definition, the physiological state of reduced mental performance capability, that's kind of what you experienced on that. You couldn't mentally process the the data that was exactly in front of you it wasn't like you were so tired you were falling asleep but actually you were fatigued and you know couldn't process the the data in front of you so it's it's yeah there's, there there is a difference between being tired and and being fatigued i found out some information not about pilots unfortunately but about the effect of fatigue on doctors right uh, one thing i found out was in america at least in the entire training of a doctor they received only about two hours training and education on sleep right so there seems to be an underwhelming focus on sleep in terms of biological and and medicine yeah like we said it's a third of your life but then looking at medicine's response to sleep as well, just look at the, some of the shifts that doctors have to do. Well, yeah, it's interesting. Like we're, you know, I, there are a lot of comparisons between our industry and medicine. Both high risk. Both high risk. Industries. Yeah, exactly. So um, here you go then, Sam. I'll ask you a question. So if you were about to have um, a doctor perform surgery on you, right? would you ask them how much sleep have you had in the last 24 hours? Well... Maybe after like hearing what you're saying, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe I would. Yeah, um, well, okay. So we can get into the the details of eight hours, seven hours and so on and, and that kind of thing and what people think they need. But let me tell you that statistically, according to this study, if a doctor's had six hours, right. sounds all right, or yeah. less, he's 170% more likely to make a major error during the surgery. Wow. Okay. Now, some of these doctors, and this is American again, they, you know, they're sort of, we call them junior doctors. Um, they do these like 30-hour shifts. I've never really got my head around no. how it works. But uh, on a 30-hour shift, they're 460% more likely to make a major diagnostic error, which sounds obvious, really. I mean, 30-hour shift. Yeah. I mean, that's just crazy, right? I mean, I... I would think that that would be the same for us. Like if we were on a 30 hour duty, I would imagine that by my 29th hour, I might be... Because I think they're sleeping, aren't they? But just as and when. Yeah. kind of, And ca- they're not really getting any at the no, end of the it's, day. It's not... Because it's not, they're being called constantly. Exactly. It's the quality of the sleep. And yeah. that was one of the factors in the 
Buffalo accident, which we might come on to talk about a little bit later, was actually where they were sleeping and the quality of the of the sleep, which is which is important. It all goes into things that people would have studied in their ATPL, the different types of sleep. Yeah. You know, like the early sort of phase, like the rapid eye movement. And There's then, four phases. And the deep sleep. And know. then on top of the four phases of sleep, you've got rapid eye movement yep. sleep, yep. which is the most fascinating phase maybe. Yeah. And the ATPL study has a lot on that, those four phases and what they mean and so on. But you don't really have control over that, practically speaking. But you're supposed to get eight hours sleep, maybe seven. Yeah. Is what I've learned. I reckon it's gone down over the years though. I think when things when life wasn't so stressful, like twenty years ago, I seem to remember people saying, like, oh, you should get nine hours a night. And then like maybe ten years ago it was like eight oh, everyone needs their eight hours. Now I'm pretty sure like hear people say, ah, oh, seven's probably enough or you know Yeah, so this is the thing, is um kind of like a an epidemic of bad sleep. So many, so many things working against us. So this idea that we need less sleep and that we can survive on less sleep, yet Alzheimer's, diabetes, cancer, all linked to a lack of sleep over your lifetime. The World Health Organization have specifically said that any nighttime shift work is now designated as a carcinogen i.e. a cancer-causing factor. Wow. The fact that you're a nighttime shift worker. So famously, Margaret Thatcher used to say she only had four hours sleep and unfortunately she died of Alzheimer's and Ronald Reagan at the same time. Right. But just looking more subtly, even to like down to this six-hour thing, there is a major study that occurs twice a year with about a billion people. Right. That's a lot of people. Daylight savings time. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that there's a 24% increase in heart attacks after the spring daylight savings time when you lose an hour's sleep? Is that right? And then the reverse, 24% decrease in heart attacks and cardiovascular major problems um, the day after the, when you get an extra hour's sleep. That's really interesting. So anyway, there's endless statistics about the effect of sleep. But just what's fascinating to me is the if you get just less than seven hours, yeah, it, it has an effect on you. There's a lot of studies on athletes, you know, who yeah, are, are yeah. trying to perform that they'll learn a skill 20 to 30% better if they've had a good night's sleep. And yeah. that over a season, if those that were getting six hours sleep had 60% more injuries than right. those who didn't. Right, okay. So there's a lot of stuff around athletes all sort of pointing towards the effect that it might have on a pilot. But remember, we're also not in our own bed at night and yeah, we're not yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. in a bed at the right time. So like you said, it's it's up against us. Just going on to that athlete's point, it's diverging slightly, but I do remember about the cycling, the Team Sky cycling yeah. team, where they, they ship like the cyclists' own mattresses from home like yeah, to yeah, wherever yeah. they're going in the world for the marginal for the gains, marginal gains yeah. of like getting a, sli- a slightly better night's sleep yeah. because they're in their actual, well, kind of in their own bed, if that makes sense. I perhaps should help us bring this back to aviation, but just staying on that point about apparently uh, uh, if we're in an unfamiliar place trying to sleep, half basically half of our brain won't sleep properly right. and won't go through this, the stages of sleep. And it's an evolved mechanism, like okay. a threat detection yeah, okay. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And we're always in hotels in unfamiliar yes. places. Yeah. 
yeah, the Team Sky thing, you're doing everything they can. But if you're not in your own bed at night, that has a real effect. I Definitely. feel like on some people, I feel like I get a good night's sleep. But then it's funny that we have familiar hotels. Yeah. Maybe your brain accepts like, oh, you're back here again. But if you're in yeah. a new hotel, it might be different or the well, room's different or yeah. the bed's different. Or and, and I can certainly relate to waking up a lot of times thinking, where am I? What's going <laughs> on? Like, And it's pitch black and you're like, am I at home? Am I in a hotel? Where, where so am I? So let's talk about that then. Is it pitch black? I mean, what? What conditions do we need, really, as 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 crew, to make use of, um, you know, and to get sleep? Yeah. So, well, yeah. The so the the darkness helps. So we might find ourselves sleeping at different times of the day. So quite often, a lot of the hotels we stay in do have like blackout blinds, which make you feel like it's night. And quite often, if I have been on an early shift and I go get to the hotel and have a little afternoon nap. With all the with everything closed, is that the way you do it then? Well, yeah, occasionally. Yeah. But, that, but okay. what? But the point is, after an hour of an afternoon nap, if I wake up and it's pitch black, it takes me a while to figure out what time of day it is. Is it? Is it the next morning? Have I overslept my alarm? Right. Is it? And it, it just take a little while to, because your senses are saying it's nighttime. Yeah, which actually, is good you, then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it works. So they're works. called the Zeitbergs, yeah. which are the, a German word for basically the 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 clock. The, the way that your body learns what time it is, which apparently includes just looking at the clock. Your brain like accepts. accepts. Also, it's that time. That must be. So it, I wonder right. if you change the time on the clock. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you might fool your body. You could convince. Um, but yeah, heat, light, and noise. Yeah. Have you ever had a hotel where that's not worked out for you? And um, yeah, occasionally, like the noise, noise can be a problem. What about at home? And do you replicate the same standards? You know, um, I think in our case, the union sort of says to the company, the hotel must have these standards, which I'm sure yeah. the company agree with. Yeah. But what about at home? Surely we need the same yeah, exactly. blackout blinds. Well, yeah. What, air conditioning? Yeah, conditioning. I don't have air conditioning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. I, uh, One that sort of, my backup that sort of saves me is an eye mask and um, earplugs. Right, okay. So if I've got that, I can pretty much trick my body into sort of simu- falling simulate. asleep. Yeah, yeah nice. so even if um, the neighbour's got music on and... Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. curtains aren't very good and that yeah. kind of thing well I think that leads us on nicely to talk about the circadian rhythm of the body and how it is okay. kind of working working against this so I I did a little bit of research okay. in Latin as to what circadian <laughs> where it comes from so circa is approximately and dian is day so approximately a day ah. it's the it's the funny that you say cycle. that because it's I learned that it's not if you <laughs> No, that, that you're right. But yeah. if did you so the circadian rhythm? If you were cut off from the real world, like right. in a, I'm trying to just think of it, like down a mine shaft or something, yeah, yeah, you go yeah. onto a 25 hour cycle. Yeah, I did read something about that, and then it said that actually it was disproven later oh, okay. on that it maybe wasn't so accurate. But I thought but that was the reason why flying east is worse than flying west. There, there, there must be some element of truth to it. Potentially, so that's not the only reason, maybe, yeah, why yeah, it's maybe. worse. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so carry on. So uh, yeah, so the so the circadian rhythm is your body's kind of natural 24 hour rhythm, and it has periods where it's very alert and awake periods where it's completely like resting and it's all to do with like body temperature as well. Okay. When you have really low temperature, that's when your body is kind of at its least alertness, which usually for most people occurs around sort of four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, just about the time that a pilot's alarm clock is, is going off, exactly the time you don't want to be waking up. So the the point is, going back right to the start, the it's, the circadian rhythm is, is sort of, as you described it, it's kind of attacking our 
our sleep and our fatigue and our alertness because it's working against us a lot of the time not only with like long haul time zones but also the time of day that we're we're trying to wake ourselves up on an early shift right in the right at the point where we should be in our deepest sleep yeah essentially and then i was reading about this the melatonin like the hormone uh-huh. that's, that's naturally released at night to help you sleep essentially yeah so we're we're trying to operate through the night or work early in the morning and there's like even a hormone going into our body which is trying yeah, to yeah. work against us to to put us back to sleep sort of thing so that cumulatively a lot of sort of abusing of the circadian rhythm essentially is is a massive contributor yeah to um so can we fatigue. can we hack it and get around it or can we not should we respect it or should we force through well i think there's quite a lot of regulation in place to help us manage it isn't there sort of you know for example the length of duty we can do or the amount of sectors we can do for example if our shift starts and this is all in our kind of regulations our, our operations manual if our shift starts in what we call the wackle the window of circadian low so i.e between sort of four and six o'clock in the morning then we can we have to do a shorter day. We're only allowed to, we're limited right. to how many hours we can do, which is less than if we were to say start at 8am or 9am. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, that there's sort of regulation out there to help us manage it, but ultimately the onus is on us as professionals yeah. to The regulations kind of are, are supposed to be in line with the health. Yeah, yeah. But they're a bit blunt. Yeah. And regulation is competitive. You know, yep. if the FAA are saying that this is okay, then why should the European agency be be tighter? Like at the end of the day, then they're restricting yep. European aviation business. Yes. Know? So regulation can be your backstop yep. and save you and keep the industry safe. But you have to be aware that it's also, it has two uh, sides to the scale where it's, it doesn't want to be over-regulatory because no one would make any money. Yeah. So like you say, as a professional pilot, you've got to draw the line. But do you know anything about um, fatigue risk management systems? Not really, no. So I think they're mandated in all European airlines, which is the idea is that you, uh, like a safety management system, collect data, monitor the, the rosters and their effect on health. So you'd collect data through, you'd collect all the rosters, and then pilots would submit fatigue forms to say they felt really fatigued. All this data sort of goes into a system, plus systems that have come about through decades and decades of different research. NASA's always involved, the CAA, lots of um, a lot of defense companies and stuff come up with mathematical, um, what do they call it, biomathematical models where you put a roster into a computer and it, it already tells you that pilot will be fatigued on this day according to our according to uh, model statistics and, and yeah. so on, including things like um, the drink driving cognitive line and right, if, okay. if, if the pilot will exceed that on this duty and so on and so okay, on. Okay. So th- that can be used proactively to yes. say, well, this roster, you're about to publish this roster, but that's not good. It's not good. You need to amend it or change it. Yeah. 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 So like a safety management system, it's supposed to be proactive and, you know, intelligent and uses data. So there are examples of where now airlines are allowed to operate outside of the the hours that you were stating earlier. What yep. do we call them? The, you know, you can do this many hours, yep. this sectors. Yep. If they've got the data to show actually That's pilots okay. don't feel fatigued on, on this pattern or these these 
destinations, you know, in a row, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, okay. Then they're allowed to actually operate outside of that. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. So it's, it's a scientific approach and it's a bespoke approach. You know, like somebody flying a small jet, private jet company doing the same pattern in terms of the numbers and destinations might have a totally different experience to an airline operator. Sure. And so they develop their own rostering patterns stamped by the regulator by using data. And so so that wasn't there, there was a big recent change, wasn't there, with the regulation about for, for sort of long haul um, right. going east and west okay. and commuting. And I guess that might be as a result of some of that data. Is that not when in the UK we got the EASA regulations and they oh, were- Yeah, possibly. Diff- they, they started to integrate commuting which we'll yeah. probably talk about with the Colgan air crash, maybe, yeah. which has an effect because it's all right having all these regulations, but you don't regulate what the pilot does outside of when they report for duty, which no. could be incredibly fatiguing or not, depending on how they choose to. And and commuting is a it's a strange thing in aviation that there's a lot of commuting compared yeah. to a normal job, some yeah. incredible distances. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we, to, we know of commuters to the UK from yeah. America, North America, Australia, yeah, yeah, South Africa, Far East. Everywhere. Um, yeah. It can be a, a really healthy thing for their, for their lifestyle. It does terrify me a bit. I've always been reasonably, well, I've always been very close to my base actually. Yeah. Um, but I guess you get used to it. Yeah, but it's it's another layer into that, added into that sleep, lack of sleep and that fatigue, you know. So we've already got things working against us like our unsociable hours, our early starts. When you factor in time zones and, and jet lag and commuting across yeah. time zones and then flying back across a different time zone, maybe going east to west, west to east, east to, you know, it really is a, a big factor and it will affect a pilot quite a lot. And some people will be able to manage it better than others um, it's like the swiss cheese thing though isn't it yeah I mean, of like, course yeah, yeah on the wrong day the wrong circumstances conspiring against you you know an engine failure on top of this on top of that and yeah. your commute and this yeah. it can all add up to an accident and unfortunately when i was trying to look for accidents directly related to sleep and fatigue as i think we said they never they they can never say for certain that that was a contributory factor because often the the crew might lose their lives or they might be inclined to lie yeah in fact i tried to look into do you remember that aircraft it's a northwest uh northwestern um who flew over the destination um yeah by like an hour i do recall that and they so i think the one that i'm referring to is northwest airlines flight 188 however it's not useful to talk about because the pilots did i think they didn't really admit to or they gave a, a version of events which people disputed, perhaps. Didn't or, they go out over like the Pacific for like an yeah. hour? Like past they, the they were going to shoot them down. <laughs> they were oh, gonna, really? well, they were about to scramble. Right. But they, even air traffic control didn't notice for a long time, and luckily they didn't have fuel starvation. There's um, possibly um, uh, smartphone tablet distraction was yeah. a factor, but the CVR only records the last half an hour of the flight, and they took an hour to get back to the airport they were supposed to fly to. But right. one of the theories, as that's as far as I can say, really, was that they were both asleep. Right. And that's why right. they'd overflown the destination. And like you say, though, it's difficult when looking for accidents to say that the, you know, you can never really say that the sole cause was, was fatigue. Yeah. Because it's just really hard to prove. But on quite a lot of them, it it's kind of been assumed that that was a contributing factor and you can kind of understand with our, yeah. with our lifestyle. And when you look at some of the accidents, you can see based on the data that they have, 
how there's a reasonable chance that the pilots might well have been either very tired or fatigued. Yeah, um, and I guess it's just always going to be subjective. You yeah, can't really, yeah, yeah, you course. can ask that pilot how tired he is. And then interestingly, I uh, find this difficult to phrase, but basically you yourself are going to be the worst person to assess how fatigued you are. Yes, definitely. So, I mean, how would you play that with a colleague actually? I, I guess um, if I felt that my colleague was tired yeah. or possibly fatigued, it might be worth mentioning beforehand but likewise you, you know like you say the it's really hard to know it in yourself you think oh, i'll be fine you know I, yeah. i'm okay i'm a bit tired but i'm okay the ultimate level of professionalism would be to take yourself off the flight yeah but, but as a another sort of professional side of it you could mention it beforehand and say look if you see me starting to do yeah. things okay you know that's a that's a sign that i might be a bit tired or especially when we do as short haul pilots when we do the odd night flight which we're not used to doing completely right. through the night. Okay, we were used to early starts and late finishes, but a complete through the night flight, that's that's the one way you might sort of pre-brief. Yeah, this is going to be difficult for us both. But then uh, this is yeah. so it's such a, um, a broad subject. So you're, in my mind there, you're talking about falling asleep um, yeah. in the wackle, you know, in, yeah. the, in the night. And that is like the aircraft puts you to bed. There's, yeah. there's low stimulus. Yeah. It's like three in the morning. There's no radio yeah. chat. It's warm. The it's crashes cozy. have gone to sleep. The crew yeah. are probably taking rest. They don't want to yeah. bother you. Maybe the other pilot is taking controlled rest. And so you're being quiet to not wake them yeah. um, as well. Yeah. I think I learned that in the States, you're not allowed to take controlled rest. Is that right? Maybe they mean in the seat. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's I right. I have to say, whenever I have flown through the night, having just a conversation with your colleague is the best stimulus yeah for keeping you both sort of alert well um for sure like i remember you asking me because i in a previous airline did lots of deep night flying and yeah. it's night this is the wrong phrase night and day what i'm trying <laughs> yeah. to say is you can be very 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 tired yeah or very awake and for me the, the very awake was always when i was having a great chat banter whatever yeah. with the yeah 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 exactly with the other one yes. and and i think they would be feel the same you're yeah. either boosting each other or you're draining each other yeah 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 even um, even if it's like the captain showing you pictures of his house extension or, <laughs> and his or, his, or his collection of classic cars or whatever it's at least it's some <laughs> sort of stimulus the um, cabin crew used to come in actually quite deep into the night and then kind of get you talking and yeah that, 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 that was always good yeah it's always nice to have somebody just somebody to talk to really um to just keep you and the effects of altitudes don't forget like everything we talk about Always yeah. amplify everything. Definitely. So Definitely. however tired you are, however yeah. unhealthy you are, however prone to the fatigue at that moment and that it's as soon as you get up there, yeah. you're now um, going to feel it a lot more because of the cabin altitude. Yeah. As well for like, this is going to be a fatiguing yet yeah. manageable yeah. thing. I mean, when I did long haul, that was a big part of the operation was managing your energy over that. I don't know, 12 hour sector. Yeah. yeah. I need to be more alert here, less alert here. How can I manage my, yeah. it, let alone the fact that then you might, um, when you might be falling asleep because of your, your down route or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know how I did it basically, but I was a lot younger then. It's an extra 
threat that needs managing, I guess. There's, there's so much um, against, you know, I was thinking as well, it's like you've got to sleep and then you're in a beautiful destination or the social aspect is really alone. Yeah, and yeah. The, the effects of alcohol, yeah. some people use that to go to sleep, but it's well yeah. documented that that means that you will not achieve the type of sleep that you should be getting but everybody out might be out drinking. Yeah, you really need to sleep, but hey, everybody's going down to the local bar to get some yeah. food and drink and there's a game on and we're all going to have a great time. And it, everybody's and- a different age, so yeah. you're under the same environmental conditions maybe, mm-hmm. but then it's going to affect you differently. Yeah. Good example, Apollo 11. Yeah. So they got to the moon. Yeah. With all the drama as well of, of making the landing. Yeah which I'll try not to go into because I love it. Yeah. Then they went for a walkabout on the moon. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Then they get back in the spaceship and checklist says, go to sleep two hours. They were supposed to go to sleep then before like, yeah. Yeah. So they were asked about it. Uh, Apparently Neil got no sleep at all. Why would you? (laughs) Yeah. So the Apollo that landed capsule had windows with bright sunlight coming in. Yeah. All the lights in this, cockpit weren't dimmable right they're on bright and neil said specifically that the periscope that they used um had the earth shining happened to be shining in it and it was like a light bulb the earth coming through that right buzz bagged the space on the floor okay i can't quite picture it but and he had the best space right the best yeah space to lie in and he actually went in and out of sleep he reckoned right they slept in their spacesuits it was very dusty in the flight deck what do you call it at that yeah, time the yeah, spacecraft yeah but the spacesuits were too cold because they were designed to keep you cold on the moon so yeah how do you go to sleep on knowing that you're on the moon <laughs> uh, yeah and, <laughs> I'm with, saying, all, and with all those stimuluses that you're excited you. yeah yeah exactly you can look at the moon you know and then you're like supposed to do it i think you've just given us a good idea for another podcast i know, <laughs> I, know I know it's not kind of atpl related but we should maybe do an apollo 11 Oh, I don't know if I'm qualified to so much to go into. (laughs) But a good example of, of, yeah, so in, you know, space would be a more extreme situation where you still need to sleep. So how are you going to do that? So people who live in space for a long time, obviously, wouldn't do very well if if they weren't getting regular sleep. So they must eventually be able to um, find, you know, regular sleeping patterns and so on. So, yeah, I just feel like I could go on and on about the effects of, of sleep, but... Well, should we talk about, or should we try and talk about a crash that, that yeah. sleep and fatigue may have had an effect on? Yeah, I think that'd be a nice way to finish. And then come back to... Probably one accident recently that was yeah. sort of never proven, but quite well accepted that one of the contributing factors was was the fatigue of the flight crew, um, was the uh, Colgan Air. Yeah. Uh, Colgan Air Flight 3407, which crashed on approach into Buffalo, New York, and actually crashed on, on top of a house on approach. It basically, it was a stall. So very briefly, the background, it was a Bombardier Dash 8 Q400 from Newark, New Jersey to Buffalo, New York. And it was, yeah, the, the, the cause of the crash was an aerodynamic stall. The aircraft crashed on top of a house on, on final approach and it killed everybody on board. Sadly, 49 people on board and one person on, on the, the ground, ground yeah. in the house. And the one-liner NTSB kind of summary as to the cause of the crash was the pilot's inappropriate response to the store, to the store warning. But obviously Swiss cheese, you know, there's always loads and loads and loads of contributing yeah. uh, factors. And as we said, it can't really be proved, 
but the the sort and of they've research tried to into disprove. It. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, no, yeah, you're you're right. They have tried to disprove that that was a that was a factor, the the fatigue. But I think it's kind of widely accepted that that was definitely a contributor. Yeah, it's to, it's it's very human to learn what the pilots were doing the day before. Yeah, and the CVR from before departure in Newark. The comments made by the first officer—they're really damning to—and it just makes you instantly think this is because they were—they were tired. They were tired. Yeah. So um, she was having a chat with the captain while they were setting up the pre-departure stuff, and I should really say it word for word, but it's—it's um, it's horrible. It's how she's really tired. She shouldn't be at work. You know, one of the lines that like really resonated with me was. Um, she said it's something like it's one of those days where if you felt like this and you were at home right now you wouldn't leave home but now I'm all the way here at work you know and then it's like oh we'll see how I feel when we get flying you know it's just wow. like wow. Oh, but I can feel myself like having yeah. probably said that or I probably, thought that yeah. in the past like agreed, agreed you know I'm sat there at work I wish I was at home and I would never have left home if I felt like this but I'm here now um, and that's, so what, that's like the other side of our professionalism is like we we have pilots have a can do attitude like yeah. you know I, I can I can do this you know I'm not yeah. gonna, I'm not going to let people down I'm I, you know even though the easy thing to do would just be to call in because what would happen if she called in then like let's speculate you yeah know, who knows the flight's delayed yeah cost a lot of money for the airline people are like how come you got to the cockpit and then decided to yeah, yeah. we shouldn't speculate it may be documented but people are quite skeptical about airlines responses to you calling in sick repeatedly yep. or yep. calling in fatigued if yep. that is a thing nobody likes calling in sick in any industry you know I, I even remember as a youngster like working in a supermarket like you, you, it's just not in our nature it's just you're letting people down or you but feel like aero medical stuff is different like if you've got a yeah. cold yeah. and she had a cold she had a cold by the looks of things yeah and I, I she well. asked for descent it was that bad Cause Cause she was, was only at 19 that well I mean I don't know what their pressure difference was for them, but yeah. you know, that's that doesn't read very well. No. To be tired and cold. So why don't you also set up what she had been doing the day before before she makes those comments like how had she got to work? Yeah, so I think I read that she was a commuter from Seattle. Yeah. Which those of you that know like American geography, that's the other side of the country. And yeah. we're not talking a small country. That's that's a five, six hour flight. It's across can't remember how many time zones, but it's a, that's a decent commute from, yeah. from sort of uh, West Coast to East Coast. And it had taken her two flights yeah. to get there, one of which at least was just on a spare seat on a FedEx. Um, and I'm not sure about the sort of what the quality of the flight, or, you know, her where she was resting or where she was sat. Something about that flight. she was resting on the cargo, like obviously to lie horizontally. Right, okay, okay. And, a, and another factor in this was w that came out of it was the the amount that the airline paid their their regional especially uh -huh. regional airlines paid their their flight crew because this commuting option was a free option basically for the first officer she didn't have to pay you know a commercial ticket or a standby ticket yeah. or whatever which might have sort of made a difference so she was taking the option that was the cheapest because yeah. she essentially wasn't paid very well. I heard she didn't sixteen thousand dollars the year before. That I mean, was her annual salary. I mean, that's crazy. Like apparently less than a waitress. Yeah, that's unbelievable for a professional pilot. Yeah. Um. So she was obviously trying to save money by getting this freebie flight, although it was kind of a bit disjointed and probably ended up taking longer. I think she slept in a crew rest center in between the two flights. Yeah. 
And then one of them, was it her, was had logged on and off to the rostering system a couple of times. That was, that was the, him. That was the captain. Sorry. Yeah, that was the captain. Carry on, so he was commuting from Florida yeah. the day before, um, which is probably less of a commute, but still commuting. But yeah, they detected at sort of 3 a.m. Yeah. He'd logged on to a, a rostering system or a computer system. So who knows where he was trying to rest or sleep at yeah, the time. Yeah, his sleep and was broken. His and- sleep was obviously broken if he was <clears throat> checking that at three o'clock in the morning. So yeah, obviously, like I said, we can't prove it, but all the signs are there that both flight crew were probably, you know, yeah. in a... Because uh, then the you said it's because they stalled. Yeah. So uh, briefly then, what? so the aircraft stalled, yeah. which I don't fully understand why, um, because the ice in theory, I think, was disproved. Right. Uh, although you may know differently. No. But they stalled. I'm not in- entirely sure. Well, they, they had a stall warning yep. uh, be- before they uh, seemingly did anything abnormal, is okay. what I'll say. Okay. But then, Sam, how did they react? So they reacted the opposite way to which you should react to a stall in that they, they pulled back on the on the stick, which is not dissimilar to what happened with Air France 447 and numerous yeah. other flights. So... So it leads us onto a whole nother can of worms, really, in, in the, the training of pilots on, on stall recovery, because this has happened a few times now, where, and, and I can kind of understand it, it must just, the plane's starting to drop, lose energy and fall out of the sky in a stall. The instinct must be, well, I don't want to fall out of the sky, I, want, I need to pull back and pull up, and which is completely the wrong thing so to it's do. it's easy but, to say, yeah. what what an idiot. Both, yeah. you know, what an idiot, like... Um, that's like 101 of being a pilot. Yeah. But what's more fascinating to me is how, why does a human do something that they have been trained not to do, that if you ask them, they'd know not to do? Yeah. You know, that, and I know there's study into to that sort of stuff. We often talk about your um, knee-jerk reaction to things, caging the, the chimp, these kind of things. But they were quite low- yeah, and general aviation training in in America had always asked the students to recover with as little height loss as possible. Yeah, which they said might have been a factor in something that they wanted to change. Yeah, but yeah, they pulled back. Then the so the autopilot disconnected. There was a stick shaker. They pulled back. They shouldn't have done that. So then they started entering wing drop stalls, and then the aircraft did a stick pusher yeah, function. The, the, so, so that's like the aircraft's own protection system saying, yeah. hang on, you don't want to be doing this and try to push the stick forward to unstall yeah. the wing. But and they, the captain pulled they, back. They so whether that was the same thought process, I don't even want to say the word thought, the same pattern running through his mind, which is, why is this going down? I want it to go up, you know, yeah, this aircraft. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, and now, yeah. it's, now it's pushing itself. To, yeah. I don't know. Maybe more interestingly, when you talk about like because that's it's almost like a muscle reaction but cognitively they had a very short discussion about raising the flap uh, the, raising the gear and the first officer raised the flaps flaps yeah so that almost strikes me as yeah they were so tired they didn't even know what phase of flight they're in or something because yeah, that's possibly. kind of baffling yeah. why they did that yeah or was she thinking it was kind of like a, a go, go, go around go around flaps retraction the yeah. flaps like so there is those sequence events do paint a picture that they were Confused? The S, yeah, not Maybe. the essay, like their immediate essay. They were confused. Yeah, was not about what drill 
they were should have been performing what the aircraft was doing. So yeah, I feel undignified almost starting to speculate because you yeah. should never do that. But that's what the accident final accident report leaves you to do because there's this hanging you know, this this idea that it may have been sleeping fatigue. So I'm just speculating in that sense as like why people think it was involved, but obviously it's never proven. But when you look at all those sort of confusing points and yeah, think back to the very start where yeah. you said about where you couldn't even read the wind vector, which way it was coming from. <laughs> yeah. If, you know, so you know what that, what it feels like to be sort of that confused. and that, Oh yeah. So, so it makes, so it, it sort of makes sense. that To, to try and undo any confusion i've added there or speculation let's talk just very quickly about so they're tired we couldn't un- we can't necessarily say we can't undo that they're in yeah. that situation the aircraft stalled we can't undo that there are a few other things in the swiss cheese that could help so sterile flight deck yeah they didn't have yes so what's the use in a sterile flight deck so the idea of sterile flight deck is that no non-operational conversation for airlines will have different levels but mostly sort of flight level 100 below flight level 100 critical phases critical of phases flight. of flight so that your all your concentration all your capacity is focused on the operation yeah and the sops rather than not good for staying awake maybe no no exactly no <laughs> but, but there's a balance yeah exactly um, if you're the rule is clear though yeah if you're talking about something else that's non-operational then that's taking some of your capacity away from yeah from flying and monitoring the aircraft it's kind of like when you drive a car you know they tell you don't look just in front of the car like try and look really far down the road yeah. there's a child there's a car is going to pull out yeah. and so on yeah you've got it's the brain doesn't want to do that the yeah. brain's like lazy yeah, it wants yeah. to save calories basically yeah, yeah, yeah but if you're in a sterile flight date you then i think also need to use that time and then think ahead Thinking which ahead, is yeah. what if this happens yeah, or what's exactly. he going to do next yeah. what's she going to do next yeah okay so there's that and briefing is good yep although uh, we brief go arounds before making landings because that's a really good idea yeah but i've never briefed a stall i don't think like no. before an approach no no but you know um in hindsight like you know yeah okay if they'd have briefed the stall that day yeah. they might have m- yeah. might have helped them yeah the stall recovery yeah really sad um hearing the cvr and and so on and yeah. there's a lot of um talk about the captain's training record and things like that which is definitely should be talked about, but it's a shame to talk about these people when they're not there to... But as I've talked about, as I've said in previous podcasts, when we've talked about accidents, our industry is so forward-thinking in that we'll take all take a lot of things out of an accident and a lot of learning points. And, you know, ultimately it will yeah. always change the, the future. And SOPs probably are written in blood. Sorry, yeah. Sam, I'm interrupting you all the time. No, 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 it's fine. It, all, all I'm saying is, is, yeah, it will, in the long term, it will probably save more lives in the future with all yeah. the... Yeah, sleep may may have been part of the the Swiss cheese in that accident, and certainly that's how the industry reacted, which yeah. is why it's kind of like infamous as as being associated with sleep and fatigue. And then I tried to find some other accidents, but I mean, there's some crazy ones where they've mis-entered zero fuel weights, you know, gross gross yeah, errors, yeah. and they've been on like these 24 hour duties. And I'm like, well, you're just asking for an yeah, accident yeah. if you're yeah. on like a 24 hour duty. So, uh, really sobering. Uh, in two ways for me not just that crash but also how how the effect of sleep and fatigue on your health yeah. uh, long term yeah. uh, makes me really value sleep basically. definitely yeah it's, re- it's really important isn't it and, and for those of you listening that are going to go on to have commercial careers and, and fly yeah the, the message would be like look after yourself and be the ultimate professional look after your 
your own rest and well-being. Don't be afraid to speak up if you're... Get to know your fatigue policy. Exactly. So that you have the confidence to say, I'm not going in. Yeah. Do you remember um, when we were doing our first ever commercial flights and people that we trained with were doing theirs? And then I heard that um, a friend of ours had his first ever line flights. That's a big deal. Yep. And he'd called in sick for it. Oh, really? Right. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you remember... He had been so anxious and nervous, he hadn't slept. Hadn't slept, right. So he called in sick. And I remember like first laughing and then thinking, that's ridiculous. And then thinking, yeah, but that's really sensible, isn't it? That's yeah, like yeah. genius. Well, that, that, that's brilliant. L- looking back now, I think, wow, what a like, yeah. what a ballsy thing to do. Like, yeah, yeah. But, good. but your first flight, everyone's yeah. going to be working really hard. You, the trainer. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now he's going to mess up his whole training schedule. He's on yeah. a probationary thing yeah, yeah, and so yeah. on. But they, he did that. That's but, pretty cool. But in terms of, yeah, professional standards, that is like the ultimate. Um, yeah, good. All right. Well, yeah, get, we'll, get a we'll, good night's we'll sleep leave on it that. There. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go and get some rest now. And uh, thanks for listening. All right. Bye.